0: Okay, so today we're going to be talking about biblical marriage and sexuality. We are going to be jumping around to a few different places. So we're out of the book of 1 Peter today. By way of introduction, I would like to read a short article. I think I may have posted it on group a week or two ago. But I will read it. It will give, it'll give some context for those who need it of what we're doing today, why we're doing it. So this is a short article written from a pastor in Canada. And it was basically sent to John MacArthur by James Coates, who was the pastor that was arrested last year for keeping his church open because James Coates was a master's grad now, James is not the one who wrote this article, but he is the one who sent it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Excellent hit the video of MacArthur. So, this is, this is the short article basically describing what's going on. This is from Pastor Andrew... Uh, I don't know I'm pronounce his last name wrong. De Departolo. De he was on the Founders uh, podcast that I shared on me the other day. I heard him speaking about this issue. So he's the one who wrote this. And then James Coates sent this to John. So here's, here's the article, guys. I don't think I have to comment a whole lot. He, he, I think they do a pretty good job explaining what's going on, but I may comment here and there. Pastor John, thank you so much for your willingness not only to shine a light on the situation here in Canada, but also your partnership in calling other men to preach on biblical sexuality on January 16th in unity and solidarity with ministers here in Canada. I and we are truly grateful for your ministry and service. Bill C-4, that's the name of the bill, passed through the House and the Senate without opposition. Not a single dissenting vote was cast by any member of the Conservative Party. It received royal assent on December 8th which means it will come into law after January 8th. The bill will amend the criminal code in Canada to ban conversion therapy. That's what they entitled it, conversion therapy. It will criminalize among other things and this is in bold letters here. It will it will criminalize among other things causing another person to undergo conversion Therapy. Promoting or advertising conversion therapy. They're gonna explain a little more about what that means, but that just basically means if you're to try to share the gospel message so that somebody could escape a lifestyle of homosexuality or transgenderism and be converted, and that's that's what the conversion therapy means. In the preamble of the bill, it says that. Uh, the belief that heterosexuality, cisgender identity, cisgender identity is just holding to your your birth, I, your your gender of your birth. Okay. So the in the preamble of the bill it says that the belief that heterosexuality or cisgender identity and gender expression that conforms to the sex assigned to a person at birth. Are to be preferred over the sexual orientation, gender identities, and gender expressions is a myth. So now in Canada, it is a myth now that, that uh, heterosexuality or the gender that you're born with is superior to any of these other made-up genders. I think you guys understand. According to the Canadian law, as of January eighth, two 2022, the belief in God's design for marriage and sexuality will now be seen as a myth. The bill defines conversion therapy as a practice, treatment, or service designed to change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual. Change a person's gender identity to cisgender. Change a person's gender expression so that it conforms to the sex assigned to the person at birth. How how dare we would try to communicate to a person that they are the gender that they were born with. Uh, or repress or reduce non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior. Rep- repress a person's non-cisgender identity or repress or reduce a person's gender expression that does not conform to the sex assigned to the person at birth. Now that, these were statements in the law and he's going to go on and just explain <coughs> a little bit. The definition is intentionally broad and it can clearly be used against any preacher or elder who either speaks against homosexuality, transgenderism, or who counsels a person to obey Christ and abandon their homosexual, transgender actions and lifestyle. What did Christ command us to do? To, to, to preach the gospel to the nations and command all that He taught. And, and, and Canada is saying, no, you're not going to do that. It's against the law now. That's what that's what what, that's what this is. This means as of january eighth, two thousand twenty two, it will be against the law to preach, teach, or counsel regarding God's design for marriage and sexuality. The basic fundamental thread of human existence. Everyone, this is again, this is quoting the law, everyone who knowingly, everyone everyone who knowingly causes another person to undergo conversion therapy. So that means if you minister to somebody and actually successfully cause a person to maybe repent of their homosexuality, everyone who knowingly causes another person to undergo conversion therapy, including by providing conversion therapy to that other person, is guilty of an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for a term of not more than five years. In a similar way, everyone who knowingly promotes, so just promoting it, just sharing the truth, everyone who promotes or advertises conversion therapy is guilty of an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for a term of not more than two years. You go to prison for two years just simply for communicating the truth. Guys, and I'll speak to more of that later, but I've seen it up close and personal. In, in the UK. On January 16, 2022, faithful men across this country and many in the United States as well will be preaching on God's design for marriage and a biblical ethic of sexuality. We will be doing so illegally, declaring to the state that there is one God and one Lord over his church and that Christ alone gets to both define marriage and dictate what is required in the pulpit. We are honored that our American brothers will be joining us in this so that's a little bit of context guys of what's going on this is not this is not fun and games this is a real real persecution that our brothers and sisters just across the border are really getting ready to face they want to be faithful to Christ so let me pray for us guys and we'll get started heavenly father we come before your throne Lord And Father, I am so thankful, God, that You have clearly defined um, all of these things in Your Word, Lord. This is a spiritual battle. And Father, we declare to to fight this battle like You have told us to with the sword of the Spirit, with Your Word. And so, Father, I I just pray, God, I pray for the church in Canada, I pray for the church in America, Lord, that we will just be simply faithful to the Scriptures, Lord, and, and leave the consequences to You. Father, give us, give us boldness and give us wisdom and, and, and grace, Lord, with our, with our neighbors. Lord, who would, who would have such hostility to Your Word, Father. Lord, we, we love You and we praise You, God, for your, for your grace, God, towards undeserving sinners like us. And so, Father, use this message for Your glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, Amen. <laughs> Okay, so reasons for this message, guys, that I thought of, okay? Obviously, you can probably think of more. First of all, Jesus Christ is worthy, okay? He is worthy to declare the truth of His Word, right? He is the Word made flesh. Jesus Christ is worthy. He laid down His life for us. When we were sinners headed for eternal judgment, Christ came to this earth as God the Son and suffered in our place. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So first of all, Jesus Christ is worthy for His Word to be preached in truth. I would say secondly, a good reason to preach this is a wake-up call to the church. To the church in America. To us. And that was coming straight from this Canadian pastor when I listened to him the other day. Guys, we're not any different than them, okay? There's all of this stuff, it's,
1: it's all
0: escalating and, and it's headed in our direction. I don't have a timetable, but this stuff is coming. We can see pockets of it in our country already. It's, it's a wake-up call to the church of Jesus Christ. And thirdly, that the truth of the Gospel, the truth, first of all, of defining what sin is,
1: And then the truth
0: of the Gospel of Jesus Christ is the only hope for people that are enslaved to these different sexual perversions. Without the Gospel, they're going to perish. And so these are just three reasons that I thought of of why it would be worthy. Not not to mention just to support our brothers and sisters of what they are getting ready to face in Canada. But it's a message that needs to be preached Anyway. And so, I'm going to look at three things today from the Word. Just just, to try to cover biblical marriage and sexuality and a a, a one time stab at it. First of all, we're going to look at gender identity what the Bible says about about our gender, about our our identity, our gender identity. This is going to be a lot of this stuff, guys, is going to be very, very clear. I mean, God's Word is very clear. I don't think I'm going to be really revealing anything new, but just reminding ourselves of what God's Word says. And just such an onslaught. There's an onslaught in our culture. The very basic threads of human existence is being attacked. And this is a spiritual battle. I will say that multiple times. This is not a political battle. This is a spiritual battle. Genesis 1.27, guys, says this, and we'll jump around Today, so if you're taking notes, you might just jot some scriptures down. There'll be some times where I ask you to turn, if we're maybe we're reading a bigger block of scripture. But Genesis one twenty-seven: God created man in His own image. In the image of God He created him, male and female He created them. Amen. Amen. You know, used to. I never really thought that I would have to stress the second half of that verse. It was always the first part. You're made in God's image. You're not a monkey. You're not a dog. But now, we've got to make clear the second part. Male and female He created them, right? Male and female He created them. And it's such an important foundational truth. It's repeated again in Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And then Jesus repeats it. In Matthew 19, verse 4. And in the parallel passage in Mark 10.6, He repeats the same thing. He who created them from the beginning made them male and female. So Jesus thought it was that important. And going along with our Bible study that we've been going through, we see Jesus affirming the authority of the Old Testament canon. Right? He's repeating it. But it's important enough for the Son of God to repeat it that that our Creator... Created them from the beginning. Male and female. That's it. Period. There's a period right there. Male and female. There is no confusion. Is there not? There's no confusion on this issue. Whatsoever. This is a willful suppression of the truth, guys. That's all this is. From our culture. From individuals. It's a willful suppression of the truth of their Creator. It's a suppression of the truth that we'll look at a little later in Romans 1. You know what they don't say? You know what they don't tell you? And I don't have the statistics. You can look them up because I can promise you you'll find them if you look hard enough. They don't tell you the depression of people who trans... What's the word I'm thinking of? Transition? Transition? They don't tell you the depression these people go through, the suicide rate these people go through when they realize what they did. It's it's through the roof, the suicide rate. But let's remember this as the church of Jesus Christ. That even those who make this awful decision that could really destroy their life, That there is forgiveness in Christ. We talked to an individual yesterday for about 30 minutes that I believe was a trans. That's the only hope they have, guys. So, as we go throughout the message, let that, I'm going to say that often, that we have hope in Christ. That's why we speak to these things. Lying to people's not love. Telling somebody who thinks they're a woman when they're really a man, that, yeah, okay, you're a woman, that's not love. We must tell them the truth. This is an offense to God, their Creator. Remember guys, this is a spiritual battle at the heart of it. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We have to tell people the truth. We have to if we love them, we have to tell them the truth. We have to preach the truth from the pulpits. Lies damn souls, okay? That's what the at the heart of all of this is, lies damn souls to hell. Not to mention they destroy lives. They destroy children. They destroy marriages. They destroy families. And as a result of all that, yes, they do eventually destroy an entire society. And they bring God's judgment on the individual and on societies. We just read about it. So I think it's very clear that God made us male and female. Really crystal clear. So secondly, let's talk about marriage. What does the Bible say about marriage? Again, at the beginning, Genesis 2.24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. I mean, just in that verse, we, 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 see the, we, we can even see the gender identity still. Father, mother, male, female. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Right? Adam and Eve. Not Adam and Steve. Again, elementary stuff. But it needs to be declared. And you notice it doesn't say, we're not really talking about this today, although it is a a perversion, it doesn't say wives, wife. Man shall leave his father and mother be joined to his wife, they shall become one flesh. That's the definition of marriage right there. There we have it. Again, repeated in the New Testament. Jesus in Matthew 19.5 and Mark 10.7 and 8 repeats it, and then Paul repeats it. In Ephesians 5.31, verbatim. So obviously, this was important enough that the Holy Spirit inspired these men in the New Testament to repeat it. The definition of marriage, there it is right there. One man, one woman. Period. Period. I told you this is an elementary <laughs> teaching. And so with that definition of marriage right there, not two men, not two women, not one man and two women, or one man and 15 women, one man and one woman. That's the definition of marriage. And then the writer of Hebrews tells us, with knowing that definition, now we can understand what he means in Hebrews. Marriage between one man and one woman is to be held in honor among all. And the marriage bed between one man and one woman is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Very clear. One man, one woman, one woman, God has created sex for the benefit, for the procreation, for the enjoyment of the marriage bed. Very clear. Very easy to understand. If you guys remember on June 26, 2015, The United States Supreme Court voted to make homosexual marriage legal in all 50 states of the United States of America. So that's been around for, while—six and six and a half years now. I know what I was doing that day. I was working.
1: And it was just a weird
0: feeling seeing our White House lit up in rainbow colors. It was a really a gross feeling. That our our leaders of our country were that bold. Um, But let me ask you this. Did that ruling that the Supreme Court change anything really in God's eyes? No. Not a thing. God has defined marriage. I just read it to you. And so all we need to know about that is there is no such thing as a homosexual marriage. They can call it what they want, but it doesn't exist. Marriage is between one man, one woman. It's already been defined. It's not a marriage any more than if somebody wanted to go marry their horse, which people do that. I mean, there's, there's already stories of that happening. But it's not marriage. None of it's marriage. But rather it's an abomination before God is what it is. But, again, it is a sin. Yes, it is a sin. But it is a sin that Christ died for. Okay? It's a sin that Jesus Christ died for on the cross. And so there is hope for the homosexual. There is hope and grace to be found at Calvary. And nowhere else. There's hope to be delivered from that slavery and there's hope to be forgiven and cleansed in Christ. What confusion these things bring, especially to the children who are brought up in these conditions. That's what's so sad. Children who being born, as all of us are, in the image of God. We're all born in the image of God And we innately, on the inside, because He is our Creator, we desire the warmth that only a mother can provide. And I know you guys know what I'm talking about. There's nothing like your mother's warmth. Which again, makes the sin of abortion so vile. and so unthinkable. The safest place that that baby has. The the warmth of a mother... We're made in the image of God, and and, and we naturally desire that warmth that only a mother can provide, and that strength and protection that only a father can provide. A young girl with her mother, and a young boy with his father, all stolen. You see a picture, a video of two men in a supposed marriage adopting a child. My heart breaks for that child. All stolen from them. By who? The Father of Lies. He is the one who is behind all of this. He came to kill, to steal, and to destroy. So no matter what government system is operating, it's all fueled by the demonic realm.
1: It's an attack
0: on individual souls and families. Satan hates the church. He hates family. What are these? These are institutions that God has created. And that's what all of this is an attack on. It's an attack on individual souls. It's an attack on families. It's an attack on marriage. But primarily, it's an attack on Christ and His church. What is Christ in the church a picture of? Somebody can say it out. Wow, what's it a picture of? We think of marriage. What is Christ in the church a picture of? What, or let me let me. Ask. What is the church? The bride. There we go. I probably didn't ask that in a very clear way, but we're the bride of Christ, right? We're the bride of Christ, and it just it, it's an a, it's a it's a it's a blasphemous attack upon. The institution of the church. Listen to Ephesians 5 22 through 25, okay? Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. We also see, again, a picture of marriage one, one, one man, one woman, very clear. He Himself being the Savior of the body, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Do you see what a perversion homosexual marriage is? And what an attack on the triune God this is. That's what's at the heart of it. It's an attack on God. It's an attack on the sacred institution of marriage, on the picture of Christ and his bride. It's an attack on the triune God, the Father. We think about the bride of Christ whom the Father chose. We think about the bride of Christ whom the Son died for, that we just read and whom the Spirit of God that we sang about sealed and now indwells. It's an attack on Christ and His church. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, beloved. We are announcing, yes, to the wicked rulers of our land that yes, Christ is Lord. And we're going to obey Christ. We're not going to listen to a redefined marriage. The Bible's very clear on what marriage is. Very clear on what identity is from the very beginning. But we're also announcing to the kingdom of darkness that we will not cave. I'm not going to cave. But we'll stand on God's truth. We're going to stand on God's truth. Flip over to Revelation 19, verses 7-9. through Nineteen, seven through nine. Another beautiful picture of the bride. Revelation nineteen. It's uh, after Genesis, <laughs> right? Um, so, Revelation nineteen, verses seven through nine. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then He said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And He said to me, These are the true words of God. Just another beautiful picture of Christ and His bride. We're the ones that's going to be there on that day—the marriage supper, the bride of Christ, whom He purchased with His own blood—and it's a picture of marriage between one man and one woman.
1: So we see what the Bible
0: says about our gender that we're born with, about the definition of marriage, and then thirdly, for the remainder of the time, we're going to we're going to talk about. The what the Bible says about homosexuality. We'll start out First Corinthians six, and then we'll jump around to a few different places. First Corinthians six nine through eleven. First Corinthians six nine through eleven. Or do you not know? That the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. That ought to get our attention. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor violers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. But you were washed but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. So we see this this list, okay, of of sinful lifestyles. All All of these are sinful lifestyles and it's saying that anybody that's living an unrepentant, okay, that's the key, unrepentant, habitual Lifestyle that's mentioned on here is not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I've told you guys many times, this passage in particular, all, all of these are sins, right? We're, we're talking about something specific today the sin of homosexuality, but all of these are sins. And, and when I look at that list, that entire list, other than homosexuality, described me to a T until God saved me, okay? So, so just to say, I'm guilty, okay? I'm guilty right here. But praise God for verse 11. Praise God for verse 11. There's forgiveness found in Jesus Christ. If somebody was to listen to this message, who maybe was a homosexual, I want them to hear that. That we have to, we have to define what sin is. A man has to understand that he has a disease if he's ever going to accept the cure. So we have to tell people the truth. That homosexuality will damn you. But Christ died for that sin. Jesus Christ on the cross. When we think about the horrors of what He must have faced when He was crushed under the wrath of God And we think of the filth of all of our sin. The filth of the homosexual lifestyle. He he paid the penalty for those sins. Jesus was treated as if He was a practicing homosexual. If that doesn't tell you something about the grace of God. Homosexuals could be saved. That's the message we have. If they would come to Christ and be willing to turn from their sin and embrace Christ. The One who can give them rest for their very souls. Christ can save. Christ defeated that. He he bore that sin in His body on the tree. Homosexuals who put their faith in Christ Who identify with Christ through faith. Died with Him on the cross. Went down into the grave. And rose again. Just like any other sinner that Romans 6 talks about. So as the church of Jesus Christ, we must never forget to preach the gospel of hope to our culture. Yes, we must define sin. But why? Why? Are we doing that? We're doing that so that they know what they need to flee from. They know why Christ died, and they know that they can escape God's judgment and the slavery of that lifestyle. So don't forget that, church. Look at verse 9 in that text. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. In these two words, the NAS says, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. Now the effeminate, the word means basically the feminine partner. I don't need to explain that. The feminine partner. It it could mean men or boys or who allow themselves to be misused homosexually. If you can just picture that, okay? And and if you have a New King James, whereas the, the NAS is effeminate, the New King James has homosexual, first of all. The NAS, it says the effeminate and the homosexual. That second word in the NAS means basically the masculine partner, okay? Men who initiate homosexual practices with their partners.
1: And so the New King
0: James would have that word as sodomite. Okay? Now this is important, guys, because people will bring up an argument. They will bring up an argument that Paul's not really condemning homosexuality as you think of homosexuality in this text. He's just condemning men raping a young boy. Or men, or or another man, basically, against their will. That's what that's what some will argue that, that Paul is speaking in this text. Now that that did go on. Uh, the man we've talked about going through the book of 1 Peter, Nero, the emperor, he had a young boy that he had castrated and was a sex slave. That's what kind of guy he was. And then I believe that young boy was passed on to the next emperor. That's the wickedness of this lifestyle, guys. It just keeps plunging darker and deeper. But we're going to come back to that. Is... Is it raping a boy? Okay, we'll come back to that in a few minutes. The word idolaters, I did want to mention that because I think that is so relevant. In our day, idolaters just think of false religious systems. And in the context of what we're talking about today, false religious systems that's okay with sexual perversion. It's all over our land. There's denominations. That used to be fairly solid. That they're off now. I mean, they're off in la la land. I mean, they got transgender men, women, homosexual men, women standing behind pulpits. And so, the root of the root of really of all sin is idolatry. If I can just create a god, you know, because men are religious. But if I can create a god in a religion where God's not going to judge my sin, well, that's fantasy land. Because he is going to judge sin. But the word the phrase effeminate homosexuals in the NAS this this does include this language does include transvestism, sex change, transgender, and other gender perversions. All of it are included in this language. Again, what does Genesis 127 say that we looked at a while ago? God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We'll look at a verse here in a minute, but God detests any kind of blurring of that image that He made. The masculine-feminine. But guys, I, all of you in here may have heard this before. Because I, I know I've told people here and there, but this right here was my crime when I was in Scotland three and a half years ago. Preaching on the street. I read that text right there. Like I do here, like I'm in the habit of doing, I read that text where it says effeminate and homosexual, and then I just simply pleaded with the crowd that was sitting there that that Jesus Christ saves. And I went down the line in that verse. And when I got to effeminate and homosexuals, all of a sudden, I had three or four people immediately standing before me, asking me, what did you say? And I repeated it to them, and I knew what was up, because I knew... That culture. Although I, I I didn't expect that. I didn't expect it to happen that easy, that quick. But my and they called the police, and I'm telling you that I was a criminal. I broke the law for saying that Jesus Christ can save somebody who's effeminate or a homosexual. I had a mother who was so angry her lips were shaking because she had a young girl who's a transgender. And how dare I could say something like that. And because that, that culture is just given over to homosexuality. And it's against the law to say homosexuality is a sin. They could have put me in handcuffs and taken me to jail, but by the grace of God, thankfully they didn't. So I've seen it up close and personal. And I, and I showed the police officer. He challenged me. He said, are you saying... Homo-? The Bible says homosexuality is a sin. And I said, yes, I'm saying that. He goes, show me. I read him that verse. I read him those three verses. And then I read him, I emphasized verse 11. I said, sir, that's why we're here. I said, if you notice on that list, we're not singling out homosexuals. We're all sinners. And I, and I shared with him the hope that's found in Christ. And by, again, by God's grace, they didn't put me in handcuffs. But this stuff is Real. God does forbid gender roles to be blurred, as I was just saying, much less completely reversed, which is what we're seeing in our culture. If you guys know who Caitlyn Jenner is, more importantly, if you knew who Bruce Jenner is, the Olympic gold medalist, he will stand before God as Bruce Jenner. He was created as a man, and he will stand before God in the image that God created him. It's a fantasy world. And I feel for Him. Deuteronomy 22, verse 5 says, A woman shall not wear a man's clothing, nor shall a man put on a woman's clothing. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. Just, it's just an emphasis on all the stuff we're talking about. God made us male and female. And we're not to blur those lines intentionally. Intentionally. Now turn to Genesis 19. I had Justin read it. We're not going to read the whole thing. But I did want to have him read it so at least we've heard most of the chapter. We're going to read the first 13 verses and I'm just going to make a few comments. Genesis chapter 19, verses 1-13. through 13. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate at Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. And he said, Now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servants' house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. They said, However, no, but we shall spend the night in the square. Yet he urged them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old, all the people from every quarter And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. But Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Now behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with, with man. Please let me bring them out to you and do to them whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men. Inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand aside, Furthermore, they said, This one came in as an alien, and already he is acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. So they pressed hard against Lot and came near to break the door. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. They struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. Then the two men said to Lot, Whom else have you had here? A son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and whomever you have in the city. Bring them out of this place. For we are about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Okay, stop there. Just a few things about this account. We've all probably heard of Sodom and Gomorrah. Just a few things I wanted to point out and answer a question that you may have asked or you've heard asked... First of all, in verse 4. Just to see the, the... It says in verse 4. It says, Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house both young and old. You see that? Both young and old. All the people from every quarter. This is talking about people from all across the city. Boys. Older men. We see... Homosexuality has taken over the city. We see an unbridled lust. Look, look at verses 9-11. Nine, nine through 11. But they said, stand aside. Furthermore, they said, this one came in as an alien. Uh, end of verse 9. So they pressed hard against Lot and came near to break the door. But the men reached out with their hands. The angels brought Lot into the house. And, and shut the door, and then the angels struck the men with blindness. Okay, and I read it could have been physical blindness, could have been some kind of confusion. Doesn't really matter. But it struck them both small and great, so that they wearied themselves trying. So in other words, it didn't stop them. They continued to try to get through the door. This this uncontrollable, unbridled lust of homosexuality. I went back and listened to John MacArthur. I believe it was on Friday. A message that he had preached on homosexuality, I believe in 1992. And he shared some things about this, this, just this, this lust of homosexuality, how strong it is, even compared to that of heterosexual sin. He did some research back then. that was what? 30, over 30 years ago? Or 30 years ago. And in that time, he, he, he just, and that, again, that was 30 years ago, so how much worse is it now? But in that time, and, and I believe it's San Francisco, of course we know that's a, you know, a hotbed of homosexuality. But they had these things called bathhouses where homosexuals would go at night. And some of them would have literally up to 30 partners a night. It was very common, very common for a homosexual, very common to have 500 different partners. Some of them up to fifteen hundred partners. He he talked about a. Uh, uh, no, no, I I've got this down here. i so, I'll say more about something else he said that fits the context a little further down. But just just the just how it, it, just this this unbridled lust that we see in Sodom, the violence. We see a city that's been given over to the sin. That's what we see, guys. If you've ever, you know, it's kind of an ugly word, Sodomite. But that's the biblical word. Really, even better, more than homosexual. It's the sin of Sodom. That's what that word means. Now the question, I want to ask you a question that you may have heard. um, Or you know, maybe you had it asked of you, or maybe you've thought it. Did Jesus ever speak about this sin? Well, first of all, let's not forget he is part of the Trinity, right? He is the Word made flesh. So anytime we see the Word of God speak on the issue, on any issue, Christ is speaking. The Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, the triune God. Yes, he said it from Genesis to Revelation. But we can see it even in this story here. Look at verse 24. It says, Then the Lord Yahweh, okay, then the Lord Yahweh rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from Yahweh out of heaven. You see that? Yahweh on earth, Yahweh in heaven. What we see here, guys, is the Lord, the first mention of the Lord in that verse. All caps. Speaking of Yahweh, if you go back, you can go back and read, I'm not going to do it, you can go back and read Genesis 18, and you can clearly see that this angel manifested himself to Abraham as Yahweh. As the incarnate Christ. That's who this this one angel was. And just go back and read it in Genesis 18. You'll see clearly that this is God the Son. Pre-incarnate Christ. But that's what that's saying in verse 12. Yahweh on earth, Yahweh in heaven. Rain down fire. In other words, has Jesus spoken on the sin of homosexuality? He rained fire and brimstone down on Sodom and Gomorrah. He is God. Of course He's spoken. So He spoke very clearly. Now turn to Romans 1. Because people will throw that at you. Well, I didn't see it in red letters where he said specifically the sin of homosexuality. Romans 1. We're going to start in verse 24. But the word in, in Romans 1, 24, you see the first word, therefore, right? We always know something's above it. In verses 18 through 23, a summary of 18-23, we see man rejecting God, okay? Man rejecting God. We see a flow here. Man rejects God, then rationalizes his rejection and then creates his own god. Okay? You can just you can read those. And because man rejects God, we see God abandons man. That's what we see. We see him It says he gives them over. When, when man rejects God, God gives them over. And then we see in verse 18, it talks about the wrath of God. And the particular wrath this is talking about, when man rejects God, God gives them over, in other words, to the wrath of abandonment. This, this is the wrath of, of abandonment. This is God abandoning a person or a nation. That's what we see here in these texts in verses eighteen through thirty-two: the wrath of God's abandonment. If you really want to hear a good teaching on that, go go look up MacArthur's teaching on that: the wrath of abandonment. That's what we see here. Because there's different kinds of wrath. There's eschatological wrath. There's eternal wrath. This is God's wrath of giving people up. You reject God; He will give you up to your lusts, and you'll live like an animal. And His hand will be off of you. You want your sin, you can have it. With all the consequences, both here and now and in eternity. This is the wrath of abandonment. And then in verse 24, it says, Therefore God gave them over. This is as a result of, of rejecting God and, and their idolatry. God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity. That word impurity, it's just sexual immorality. Okay? It's just sexual immorality. Think of our think of our. You know, that, this happens in an individual's life, but also in a nation's. Think of in the United States of America, the sexual revolution in the 60's is where we see this begin to happen. Fornication, adultery, pornography. We live in a porn saturated country and culture. It surrounds us. It, it engulfs us. And again, I say as, as Christians, don't Fool around with it, period. Just like, just like you wouldn't fool around with heroin, would you? I'll try a little bit here. No, never. Don't even go near it. There's only one way to deal with this: is to avoid it at all costs. But we live in a, a, a this impurity. It's just, it's just sexual immorality. But then we see in verse 25. Look at 25. We we see a, a continued declension, dissension, down. Continued rejection of verse twenty-five. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Again, the idolatry is continuing and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So we see continued rejection and idolatry. Made me think of the of the young man we talked to yesterday at the abortion clinic. Very nice young man. But at one point he said, I, I just I think Shiloh, I think I'm getting this right. I I, I think the earth may be God. I reject the one true God and I think the earth's God. Yeah, and I, and I brought that up to him. I said, sir, that's, his, his name was Violet, so you can kind of get there. But he was a young man. So I called him. But I said, that, that's what it talks about in Romans 1. You, when you reject God, you begin to worship His creation. We're all telling on that. Shiloh and Nathaniel. But we saw this very thing. And then in verse 26, we see it continue. For this reason. Why? continued rejection and idolatry. For this reason. The continued descent into further depravity is what we see here in verse 26. Just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over... Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I'm reading 28. Back up to 26. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. Okay? This is a little stronger language. For this reason, the continued plunge into further depravity, He, he gave them over to, now to degrading passions. And we see what this is in the next part. Lesbianism and homosexuality. So it goes just from being given over to sexual impurity, sexual immorality, to now specifically lesbianism and homosexuality. Look at verse... Uh, Yeah, 26. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. And then it explains what it is. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural.
1: And in the same way
0: also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Do you see the spiral? Women exchange the natural function for that which is natural. Lesbianism. You notice what it says? Natural. Is there a such thing as heterosexual sin? Yes, there is. Fornication, adultery. But what separates this, this is unnatural. We weren't created for this. That's why it says they, they exchanged the natural, the heterosexual, the natural for that which is unnatural. The perverted, in other words. And in the same way, the men abandoned the natural function, heterosexual sexuality, in other words, of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, Men com- men with men committing indecent acts. Remember the question I asked or that I said would be brought up or is brought up about the passage in first Corinthians six? People people will say I've heard it. Well Paul's just talking about men raping, you know, other men or young or young boys, which that did take place. Look at verse twenty seven. This is the same author, the apostle Paul, speaking on the same subject. Clearly, this is not young men or older men harming young boys. And in the same way, also men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire for one another. This is homosexual sex. Mutual. Men committing indecent acts with one another. They burn for one another. This is not abuse. This is homosexual acts. Mutual. So throw that objection out the door. unnatural, guys. It's unnatural. And it's it's unnatural. Our our bodies are not made for that. That's why it says, receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Think of STDs. Think of AIDS. These are just natural consequences. And this is what I was going to say earlier. Something MacArthur brought up. Think Think of the STDs, the AIDS, but think of Jealous, the the jealousy, I've heard the jealousy in the homosexual community is so intense that it leads to violent deaths. So in 1992, he said he, I can't remember if he he said he actually talked to, I think he just found some information on an expert medical examiner that had examined, I believe it was 61,000 bodies in his time. And he said, they have examined so many bodies, he said that usually within 10 seconds we could tell if it was a homosexual crime because of the multiple stab wounds. It was just, it's violent. It just, it, it, it's just death. It leads to death. But it's the due penalty. It's not natural. It destroys our bodies and ultimately somebody's soul's. And then verse 28, that's where it ends up. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Or your your version may say debased mind. That's just a mind that doesn't function. It's a worthless, useless mind unable to function. A mind that would say, how many genders are there? Now I think a lot of people, they know better. It's just a suppression of the truth. But I think there are some people that are that confused. Their mind's been given over. We're, we're in a country, we are in a country, guys, under this wrath of abandonment. All you've got to do is just look around. You think about the sin of abortion. I think abortion is just one of the fruits of being given over to sexual sin. I mean, what drives the industry of abortion? Obviously, money drives everything. Greed make a lot of money after it. But what is it? So men and women can fornicate and not have any consequences. and if you get pregnant, just kill it. So you continue in your selfish, sinful, sexual lifestyle. Think about the depravity of our country. The, the, this mind that doesn't function. That, that you can be fined thousands of dollars for harming a an eagle's egg. I don't know what the fine is. I know it's a lot of money. You know, an endangered species. You can go to jail. All kinds of fines. But yet, people will pay hundreds of dollars to go murder their own baby. That's a mind that doesn't function. That's what we see in Romans 1. It happens in individual lives and it happens in nations. We're a nation given over right now. Made up of individuals given over to sexual immorality and everything that goes with it. And like I said earlier, we use this phrase a lot, but I can personally say that if if not for God's grace, I would be right there. Somewhere. Somewhere in the immoral flood of sin. I don't know how far I would have went down that path. But it's only by God's grace that God saved me out of that as a sinner. And beloved, the reason we can't be quiet on this issue, the reason we must speak simply what the Bible says, do it in love, but be truthful. The reason we must speak about the truth about these issues is because we are the only ones that have the message of salvation. Salvation. And hope. That's it. There's no other hope. There's no other forgiveness of sins. It's only found in Christ. That's what I asked the young man yesterday. He had all these questions, and I said, What are you gonna do with your sin? How is your sins gonna be forgiven? How is our sins gonna be forgiven? How is a person who is so enslaved to any sin but the sin of homosexuality? How are they ever gonna be forgiven? How are they ever gonna have hope after death? How are they ever going to be able to escape the bondage of this lifestyle? How are they ever going to escape eternal judgment in hell without the Gospel of Jesus Christ? They're not. They're not. J.D. Greer, the former president of the Southern Baptist Convention, said this. It's not a direct quote, but I think I remember he said, either God or the Bible whispers about sexual sin. Does this sound like God's been whispered? And there's a lot more we could read. So, so in closing, if you want to write these down, you can write them down. I'm not going to go through them. That whole idea that God whispers about sexual sin. I mean, you've heard of what we've looked at. There's a lot more we could look at. There, there's these lists, okay? There's five of them in the New Testament that I, that I wrote down.
1: There's these lists,
0: these, you could call them vice lists, vice lists or just these sinful lifestyles about people who will not enter the kingdom of heaven. There's one in Galatians 5, 19-21, the works of the flesh. You can go back and read them. And just, and just ask yourself, does God whisper about this? Ephesians 5, verses 3-5. through 5. Revelation 21.8. In Revelation 22.15, you know what all of these lists have in common? They, they, they list, you know, because none of them are an exhaustive list, but when you take them all, it mentions a lot of different sinful lifestyles. And some, of, some lifestyles are on one and some of them are on another or excluded from another. But you know what all of them have in common? Sexual immorality on every one of them. You'll see it on every one of them. Sexual immorality. And then we'll close, guys, where we started. 1 Corinthians 6. Let's look at that again. And we'll close there. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. By the way, this is another one of those lists. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. I want to read it it one more time. Let me get to the right book here. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Wow, that's powerful. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, Nor drunkards, nor bowlers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You know, when I used to preach on the streets, I used to always stop there at verse 10. And I don't know why. And then somewhere along the way, I was like, what are you doing, you dummy? There's verse 11. Verse 11, listen to this, guys. Let's end here. Let's let's finish here with hope. Why are we preaching this message today? Really, when you want to get to the heart of it, because it needs to be addressed and verse eleven is why such were some of you. Were some of you guys these things? I was. If you were ever in a, and you know, unless you guys saved real little, you can identify with this. Such were some of you, but you were washed. What were we washed by? The blood of Christ. Amen. The blood of Jesus Christ washes away our sin. We sang about it yesterday on the sidewalk. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. So the message we would bring to the homosexual community, individual, whether it's from the pulpit, whether it's sitting down across the table with somebody, is listen, this is sin. I'm not singling you out. This is sin. And if you don't repent, it's going to lead to hell. Just like it was as a fornicator, it would lead to hell. As a liar, as a as a as an idolater, as a, a thief. But there's hope. Guys, I know people personally who have been delivered from this, who have been saved. Again, go back and read the story of Dennis Jernigan, if you never have. Dennis Jernigan, the praise and worship leader from Oklahoma. I think still lives in Oklahoma. He's about Jamie's age. I mean, he was a practicing homosexual. And God saved him. He's got like nine kids now. God's used him. I, I love listening to his... his his worship means it because you know what God has saved him from. God can save a homosexual as easy as, easy as He can a, a little boy at vacation Bible school. That's nothing for God. But we've got to tell Him the truth. Tell them that they can be washed. That you can have your sins washed by the blood of Christ that flowed down at Calvary. That He was beaten on a cruel cross Tell them that so that they can have peace with God. He was crushed under the wrath of God. He paid for that vile sin on the cross. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was wounded. I mean, think about it. When we talk about Him being crushed under the wrath of God, you think about the most wicked, vile, gay pride parade and God's elect in that parade whom God saves, He paid for those sins. That means God treated Him as if He lived their life. That blows my mind. No wonder He cried out, My God, why have You forsaken Me? Tell them that. Tell them the Gospel. That you can be washed. You can be cleansed. It says such worship of you. The Corinthian church, such worship of you. You were thieves. You were adulterers. You were effeminate. You were homo... That was a sexually perverted culture, guys. But you were sanctified. You can be set apart for Christ. You can be set apart, made holy. No matter what you've done in your life, tell them that. And you can be justified. It can be as if you've never sinned before God. As if you're innocent and more than that, declared righteous. The very life that He lived can be credited to your account. The righteousness of Christ. If you will trust in Him, not just that He died, but that He rose again. That He defeated death and hell. That's that's where you're headed, sir. If you don't turn from your sin. But Christ defeated death and hell. He took it for you. In essence, He he went to hell on the cross. In other words, I don't believe He descended in hell, but when He was on that cross, He bore what we deserve in hell. Let that fry your brain. But that's what took place. Whatever I deserve in hell, He bore it. And you can be washed, cleansed, justified, but it's only in one name. It's not in Mother Earth. It's not in Buddha. It's not in anything else, but it's in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must repent and come to Him and bow the knee to Him. And the Spirit of God can do that work in a homosexual's life just like He can in anybody else's, guys. Let's pray. Father, Lord, thank You for Your your Gospel. Thank You that You save sinners. Father, we pray that You would have mercy upon our land. We pray for a great revival, a great reformation. Lord, we pray for a great proclamation of truth. You set people free by the truth, not by lies. So Father, may we speak the truth. May we do it in love. In Christ's name, Amen. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.